Would you open a Bible with me to the second book? Back to the book of Exodus chapter 12 in your Bibles. You will need those open or on and ready to read along with us in just a moment from Exodus chapter 12. What a story we have been able to sing about today. What a song we have been given. Not because we are good enough, not because we deserve it. It is a story and a song that we are invited by God's grace to participate in. And I so appreciate the fact that you're here and you want to add to that story and you want to participate in that song. And I, I hope and pray that as we open up God's Word together this morning, we will only grow in our understanding of how awesome that idea is. How unworthy to participate we are. But how amazing this God who has made it all possible really is. We are looking at doors of the Bible. Our children looked at those a couple of weeks ago during vacation Bible school. Five different doors and we as adults here in the auditorium, we're talking about something different, but we've not outgrown or gotten to the point where we're so sophisticated that we can't learn from what our children were learning from a couple of weeks ago. And so this past Sunday morning, we looked at the ark door. And today, using the second book of the Bible, I would love if your attention would be focused right along with mine on the Passover door. Is your Bible open there to Exodus chapter 12? You can begin reading with me exactly where that door is, the, the inspiration for our sermon this morning, how very important it was thousands of years ago in the lives of very real men and women. They spoke a different language. They lived at a different time in a different part of the world. But they were just as real as you and I are today. Their needs and their dreams and their hopes and difficulties were just as real as yours and mine. And God spoke to them through Moses in Exodus chapter 12, Verse 21, as Moses called all the elders of Israel together, he said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of the house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses. To strike you. Same chapter, if you look down at verse 40, we, we see clearly our narrator takes all of the guesswork out of it for us. 
the descendants of Abraham, children of Israel, had lived in Egypt for 430 years. Much longer than these United States of America have been a, a free nation. The majority of those 430 years, in fact, they had been slaves. And they cried out to the God who hears and the God who sees was perfectly aware of where they were, how they had gotten there. Their circumstances in Egypt, how long they had been there, how, how desperately they wanted to be free, how unjust and unmerciful the Pharaoh in Egypt was toward them. And he called Moses. Moses, I want you at the age of 80 to go back to the land of Egypt where you grew up, back to the land from which you ran as a fugitive, and I want you to go with a message. And you're not going alone. The heart of Pharaoh is going to be stubborn and hard. And so in Exodus 7 and 8 and 9 and 10, we read about nine terrible plagues because Pharaoh would not Listen to the Lord. When the Lord said through Moses, let my people go. We read about water being turned to blood and frogs and gnats and flies everywhere. And, and the livestock of the Egyptian dying. We read about terrible boils, sores on the, the skin of the Egyptians. We read about unimaginably destructive hail and locusts that come and eat anything and everything that is left over. And then intense darkness for days. Pharaoh's heart remains hard. And so in Exodus chapter 11 and verse 4, God through Moses promises the most terrible plague of all. Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be, I want you to imagine what this must have sounded like. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know. What was this all about? God had provided ample proof there is only one I am. And yes, Egypt may have had her gods and goddesses already for centuries, but God had proven beyond a shadow of a doubt those so-called gods and goddesses are no match for the God 
who has sent Moses with a message. And that message is clear. Pharaoh, your time of oppressing these people is over. It is time. Over and over and over again, he hears plague after plague after plague. He refuses plague after plague after plague. His heart gives more and more and more stubborn. And finally, God is going to decisively show for all to see the Lord is. The Lord reigns. The Lord is going to make a distinction between Egypt and Israel. It had to be the most terrifying night you and I can possibly imagine. But the reason we're talking about it thousands of years later in this assembly this morning is in Exodus chapter 12, God provided a door. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 1. The Lord, the same Lord who has just promised this terrible calamity to come. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. I I am beginning a new thing here. You have a completely fresh start. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. This isn't a throwaway lamb. You're not saving the best and, you know, taking one that can't walk or is too old to see. No, I want you to take a lamb without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Verse 11, in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened. Your sandals on your feet. Your staff in your head. You shall eat it in haste. Why? Because you're leaving Egypt tonight. It may not look like it during the day. You may continue to be at the the whims of cruel taskmasters from the The rising of the sun to its setting. But this is the night. You need to be ready. Ready to walk out of the doors. 4 verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Both man and beasts. It was going to be a terrible night. For those who ignored the God who had sent Moses. 
uh, for those who were somehow still, still convinced that the gods of Egypt were real or powerful, powerful enough somehow to save them from this God, somehow powerful enough to defy this God who has already brought nine plagues on stubborn Pharaoh. He emphasizes once again, I am who I am. It is going to be a terrible night for all who ignore him. But you notice with me verse 13, the language, the blood on those doorposts would be a sign. It will be a sign for you. It will be a sign on the house where you are. You're not going to be able to hide that you believe these warnings. In fact, I, I don't want you to hide that you have faith in this terrible promise of God. And the promise that God tonight is setting you free to go home. There is no hiding. It's going to be a bright red sign for you and on the outside of your houses. But when I see the blood, here is the promise, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when, not if, but when I strike the land of Egypt. It's going to be a terrible night on the outside. But for those who believe what God is saying, for those who are willing to make that sign their own. For those who believe, even though they have never seen anything like this. They've never lived through a night like this. For those who believe it, deliverance is coming. Verse 28 of that chapter tells us, the people of Israel went and they did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Wasn't their idea. Wasn't Moses' idea. Wasn't Aaron's brainstorm. God commanded it. Moses and Aaron communicated it. And by faith, they did what God told them to do. In fact, we've got that summary. Simply put in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 28. By faith, Moses and, and Moses representing the children of Israel here in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 28. Kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. One more collection of verses there in Exodus chapter 12 before we head for our New Testaments. For the rest of their lives, look down at verse 24. Once a year, every year, God says, I want you to remember this. Verse 24, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. This is not just about tonight. When you come, not if... Tonight I'm setting you free. 
and I'm taking you home to the land that I promised all the way back to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, listen, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And, and the day is going to come when your children say to you, what does all of this mean? What do you mean by this service? You be a sign for them. You say to them, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Let me tell you what he did. He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. As the people hear this communication, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. With all of that in mind, would you go with me to the New Testament book of John, the Gospel of John chapter 14. I would love in our last few minutes together to, to use our New Testaments to make four important connections to that incredible chapter we've just read, Exodus chapter 12. Four important connections. So what? Okay, this happened a long time ago. This is a, an account in the Bible. What in the world does this have to do with me and you thousands of years later in a different time, a different culture, different place? Four important connections. Connection number one. Jesus knew. your Bible open there to John chapter 13? For, for three years, Jesus has been teaching, performing miracles, providing parables. For three years, he has been inviting, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. For, for three years, he, he shows Holy disgust for those who believe they are so important in their own eyes that they're somehow able to look at another image bearer of God and say, you're too far gone. You don't belong here. Somehow you're excluded. For three years, he shows himself to be gentle and lowly with God's heart for people in desperate need. And now... For weeks, he has been telling his closest followers, we're going to Jerusalem and this is what is going to happen. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and lay down my life. No one's going to take it from me. I'm willfully going to lay it down. In fact, this is why I was born. This is why I'm here. In John chapter 13, we find him and his closest companions in an upper room. And it just so happens. That the feast of the Passover has come around again every spring of the year. John tells us in John chapter 13 and verse 1, before the feast of the Passover, 
John was there. He was in the room. He was at the table. And as an eyewitness, he wants you to know. Jesus knew. Earlier in John's Gospel, John records Jesus on more than one occasion, in fact, early on, to his own mother saying, my hour has not yet come. When people would try and take him by force to make him king, he would clearly, forcefully communicate, my hour has not come. But John was there and he wants you to know Jesus on that night knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus... You see, John wants us to understand Jesus knew. He knew who he was. I am. The pinnacle fulfillment of prophecy, the light and hope of the world, the way, the truth, and the life, the door, the good shepherd, Israel's true king, the imminent conqueror of death, on his way back to his father's right hand. Jesus knew. He knew that the father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God and knowing what he knew, perfectly equipped with that knowledge, he got up and he laid aside his outer garments and he took a towel and he tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash his own students' feet. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus willingly did that. But it's even more astonishing. If you go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians in your New Testament, a few pages after the Gospel of John, I need you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus not only willingly washed the feet of his own followers, he willingly laid down his life for a very specific reason. To serve as a Passover lamb. It's even better than that. He died to serve as our Passover lamb. Don't take my word for it. I'm, I'm not the one stretching an imaginary connection. The Apostle Paul, he's a Jew. He's a, he's a descendant of Abraham all of his life. Every year, once a year, every spring, he had been taught to observe this Passover. And Paul knew 
just as surely as any Jew who would have lived in the first century. Okay, Jerusalem absolutely transforms in the spring of every year when we do this. But, you know, if you happen to be in a city like Corinth, in the spring of the year when the, the holy Passover rolls around, you can still observe it. In, in fact, you should still observe it as a Jew for centuries. But you're going to be in the minority. Because Corinth is full of non-Jews. And yet, after the Son of God who knew, after the Son of God willingly laid down His life for the sins of the world, the Apostle Paul is able to write to anyone and everyone, male, female, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, slave, free, whatever you want to say. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, you need to understand this. Christ, the Lord's anointed one, He's been sacrificed. I'm not talking about an it, I'm talking about a he. I'm not talking about just any he, I am talking about Emmanuel. God with us. He came and walked among us. He came and changed our lives. He came and he knew exactly who he was and he gave his life anyway but you need to understand, you don't have to be a descendant of Abraham to get in on this. Jesus, our, our Passover lamb. These people, most of them probably never observed a Passover in their lives. But they needed to understand. God means what he says. Sin is more serious than you can possibly imagine. You are accountable. We are all accountable. And we've all fallen short of God's glory. But you need to understand, just as was announced from the very beginning, this was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus willingly laid down His life to serve as our Passover Lamb. Go with me a little before this to the book of Romans chapter 3. Connection number 3. Victory. Ultimate victory. To borrow from several different good observations this morning. Ultimate freedom is available. And we heard it in our opening. We heard it in our observance of the Lord's Supper. Here it is in the last book of the Bible. We'll be to Romans in just a moment. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. John says, I heard a loud voice in heaven. St. John. St. John who was there in that upper room. He's still serving us this morning. Let me tell you what I heard in heaven. A loud voice saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. Why? The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God. And they, real life people, have conquered Him. How? By the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. 
The blood of God's Lamb has been shed. They believe it. They're not ashamed of it. Even to the point of death, they're not ashamed of this blood because they believe it has set them free. And for two thousand years this news has spread all over the globe all the way to where we are this morning it is the most important news you will hear this week it is news to be applied because i want you to listen to me very carefully victory is available by the blood of god's lamb but only if we apply it What would have happened on that most terrifying of nights in Egypt if a good Jewish family, they know all about what you and I study about as history. They, they've lived it. What happens if that good Jewish family, you know, it's been a long day. It was a particularly hard day of slave labor under those taskmasters and I, I hear that everybody else is doing this thing with the blood and the doorposts but I'm so tired, I'm so weary, I, I'm, I'm so despondent, I'm so beat down, I, I just think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this one pass. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. What would have happened? You know what would have happened. What would have happened if, if they had killed a lamb, but then, you know, I mean, there's a lot here. We're awfully hungry. This is a pretty special occasion. Why don't we just go ahead and take advantage of this, make a good big meal for ourselves and not worry about applying all of that blood stuff? I mean, it's going to make a mess and it's going to take some time. And, and I'm just not sure I'm, I've got the energy for that tonight. What would have, you know what would have happened. Every firstborn in that house would have died. Because a door was available. Blood had been shed. But they would only be spared if they applied that blood to their doorposts. Your Bible open there to Romans chapter 3. Don't take my word for it. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 verse 22 says, listen, it doesn't matter whether you live in Jerusalem or Rome, there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And everybody can be justified by His grace as a gift. The blood has been shed. Redemption is available in Christ Jesus. God put him forward as a, a sacrifice of atonement. He shed his blood. Do you believe that? Paul asks. Verse 25. What a gruesome way to die. But this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, listen to the language, he had passed over former sins. 
The death of His own Son was to show His righteousness at the present time. Same God from Exodus to John chapter 13. The death of His Son was to show this God is just. Sin is serious. It comes at the cost of death. But the same God who is just is reaching out with a door for the one who has faith in Jesus. How can I walk through that door? If I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, how can I apply that blood that was shed to my life? Paul says, I'm glad you asked. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Are you ungodly? You're in the right crowd. The wrong crowd, but the right answer has been provided. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now he's writing to people who are able to say, we've been justified by his blood. Somebody's reading this. Well, I want that. I want to apply that blood to my life. I want to be saved from the holy, just wrath of God that I deserve. What do I need to do to apply that blood? Paul says, I'm glad you asked. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Are we continue to continue to live like slaves of sin... All the while talking about how amazing Jesus' blood and God's grace is. By no means. It's like trying to say, I'm inside. I've passed through the door. The blood is on the outside. But I think I'll go out here and have a really good time. No. No. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can I die to sin? I want you to listen to me very carefully. It's not hard to imagine how there would have been people thousands of years ago in the days of Moses. They hear something crazy is about to happen and they, they find the closest person who seems to have an answer. What do I need to do? And if that person tells them, well, listen, there's a lot of other stuff. It sounds kind of legalistic. Sounds like you need to do all. It's almost like you would be earning this. But we know you can't earn anything in the sight of God. So all that you need to do is just go home and say a prayer. Ask God into your heart. Make sure that God is the Lord of your life. Just trust him and it's all going to be okay. You don't need to worry about what he has said. What would have happened that night? So why in the world would I, with my soul, why in the world would you, with your soul, ignore what God has said and take the word of some ignorant human being? He can't save you. She's not your savior. Why in the world would we interact with people who have not applied the blood to the doorposts of their lives and tell them, you know what, you're a good person you do a lot of good in the community. You know, I go to church and they get kind of loud about this sort of stuff every once in a while. And it seems like they're, they're, they're drawing some lines. But as long as you just be a good person and you just be sincere and you just worship God however you want to worship, I'm sure it's going to be fine. 
You have blood on your hands. I have blood on my hands. If I say, God's going to make it okay, but I don't have to listen to what he said. Don't you know? You have to have help to misunderstand this. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Only then, friends, only then can we say we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Only then can we say, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Connection number four. You do that? You follow Jesus? You're not always going to be like the world. It was crystal clear as the sun set that night. Who believed God's warnings? Who trusted His promises? And who didn't? And by doing what God told them to do, they were automatically going to be different. God hasn't changed. His will for His people hasn't changed. Don't love the world. Don't love the things in the world. You will never be able to satisfy. You will never be able to have of the, enough of the world to satisfy. But I want you to listen to me this morning. You can have enough of the world to sink you. Don't love the world. Your heart is set right here in the world. The love of the Father isn't in you. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's not from the Father, but is from the world. God isn't just calling us to be worshipers on Sunday morning. He's calling us to be disciples. And fundamental to discipleship is asking, what does God love that I'm tempted to undervalue? And what does God hate that I'm tempted to love? And what does God want me to let go that I'm tempted to hold on to and never let go of? And what does God want me to grip that I'm tempted to let slip through my fingers? This world is passing away. Just as surely as the sunset that night, this world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. In those houses, with the blood on the doorposts, those people had to be scared to death, but they could trust. In here, we're safe and secure. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But in Jesus, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there's plenty of things we cannot control. Plenty of things we cannot change. 
But in Jesus, we're safe and secure. That's why we've sung this morning together, To God be the glory, great things He has done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may come in. God has provided the door. And there are very real people here who have sung with all of their hearts this morning, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. There is nothing, no thing that can wash away your sins other than the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to stand and we're going to sing this song. And if you need to apply that blood to the doorposts of your life this morning, and somehow we can help. If you did that a good long time ago, but you wandered outside of the fold of safety, this invitation song is for you. If we can help you, would you let us know how? By coming to the front of this room while we stand and sing together.